Poised for Exit is a show for business owners who want to achieve a successful exit based on their own terms. Your business exit will likely be the biggest financial transaction of your life, and for most, you'll have one shot at doing it right. The topics and guests we feature and the stories they share will provide valuable ideas and strategies to improve operations and grow enterprise value so you can achieve the best possible exit outcome. Now, here's your host, award-winning certified exit planning advisor, Julie Keys. Welcome everyone to Poised for Exit, the exit planning podcast show. In today's show, our featured guest is a longtime corporate executive turned entrepreneur whose expertise shows owners how best to scale with proven but underutilized methods. We're going to ding into that right after we hear from our show sponsors. Right now, there's a record number of buyers looking for businesses, and many businesses are selling at a premium. To get a free confidential business valuation so you'll know what your business might be worth, contact a broker at Sunbelt Business Advisors at 612-455-0880. We're Minnesota's largest seller of companies. Let us help you maximize your life's work. Call 612-455-0880 or visit sunbeltmidwest.com. What we see with many businesses is that they've never gotten marketing to work consistently and the marketing they do doesn't meaningfully impact their bottom line. Data approaches it differently by partnering with clients for long-term, sustainable marketing solutions. They start with a consultative, crawl-walk-run approach that helps you scale your marketing efforts naturally. Data provides marketing for the long-time success of your business to tell your story in a compelling way and to make sure the value you bring is apparent to everyone. Go to data.com for more information. That's D-A-Y-T-A dot com. Trustpoint will design and manage a 401k plan that fits your company's needs. They handle everything from record keeping and investments to employee education and ongoing administration. And they take on the highest level of fiduciary responsibility to ensure your 401k plan is compliant. You already have plenty to keep you up at night. Your 401k plan should not be one of them. Visit TrustPointInc.com for more details. For business owners, it can be overwhelming to start planning a transition or exit strategy, but it's so important to avoid unwanted outcomes and unexpected tax bills. The CPAs at JAK, John A. Knutson & Company, can guide you and help make sense of the numbers. Our firm was established over 90 years ago, and we've assisted countless companies with ownership transitions. Leaving your business is a process that takes time, so contact us today to discuss your situation. Visit our website at jakcpa.com. That's jakcpa.com. We are here in the studio today with Zareer Arani, who is a partner at Stratweiser. Zareer, welcome to Poise for Exit. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it, Julie. I'm so glad that you could be here. Um, I just wanted to... uh, like backtrack just a little bit when we first met, we were introduced to each other by a, a colleague that we both know, Nikki Vincent. And I think if I remember right, I, I messed up my schedule and I was still driving when you and I were supposed to be in our Zoom meeting. So yeah, but you did pull over <laughs> and you so you, you weren't talking while you were driving. You actually pulled over and then we did have a great conversation. We were on FaceTime, so or Zoom or whatever. Yeah. I know, nice. I just felt so bad. I'm like, oh, I didn't make a very good first impression with him. But you made a great first impression. <laughs> it, it was a really great conversation, and I was so impressed with your background and everything that you've done and what you're doing now um, that I just thought you'd be a perfect guest for the show. So I'm really glad that you're here. 
Yeah, this is kind of new to me. I've never done a podcast before, so bear with me as we kind of work through this. It'll be just fine. Before we dive in to talk about the work that you're doing now, um, let's talk about your background. You have a very impressive background. Well, it's a pretty diverse background, and uh, I I didn't intend for it to go that way, but that's the way it went. So, um, you know, I was born in India, so, you know, my first... um, experience with America was when I was 11 years old in Pierce, Mm. South Dakota. Mm. So can you imagine moving from, uh, you know, a a country with millions and millions of people to this tiny little town, one horse town, and uh, it was quite the experience. So that was my first exposure uh, to America. I've been working since I was probably 12 years old. Uh, I think my first job paid me 95 cents an hour at an ice cream store. Sure. Uh, and then three months later, got a raise to $1.15, and I thought I was rich. Oh, I know. Uh, and yeah. so this was back in the early 80s uh, yeah. when we came to the to the States. Well, anyway, um, worked all through high school and, and, uh, and college and whatnot. Uh, ended up um, at Mankato State, just south of the cities is where I got my undergraduate mm-hmm. degree. Um, and the interesting thing about it was I didn't know what I was going to major in. And so when I went down to register, they said, what do you want to major in? And I was like, ah, I think I'll major in marketing because I'd done some retail work in my past and things. Um, and my mom, who was an educator, she said, I think you should do computer science. So this is, you know, early, well, late 80s. So the mm-hmm. personal computer wasn't out yet. We were still running on DOS. Most companies had mainframes. The good old days, yeah. And mom's <laughs> telling me to get a computer science degree. And I'm like, mom, I don't know the first thing about computers. I remember, you know, the Apple in the computer lab at high school. But, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, I don't know what I'm doing with my life, so I'll go ahead and do that. So I did an undergrad in computer science, marketing, and finance. Wow. Uh, and Because I was going to do marketing, right? So I sure. um, could not find a job in marketing or finance when I graduated, and I ended up getting hired by Carlson Marketing Group here in town mm. as a programmer. So they were coming to campus and recruiting, and so all these companies were coming. And so I ended up saying, okay, I guess I'm going to be a programmer. Wow. And it was probably, um, uh, I don't know, God's hand on me or whatever. And I, and I got in, and I didn't really have programming skills coming out of college. I think college typically... Uh, prepares you with an awareness and right. gives you kind of the vernacular for all the different subjects, but you really don't have skills, right? Right. And uh, so I get my first job and I'm learning on the job. And I probably learned more in the first four weeks on the job than I ever did four years in college, because <laughs> all of a sudden you're dealing with real data yeah. and processing real data and building real systems. And the real world is not perfect. So I remember, you know, you do your labs in college and you'd write your program and you'd have a test uh, set of data. Well, the test data was perfect for the program. It wouldn't break. Uh, And so I learned so much in those first three years at Carlson. Mm. And I kind of developed this knack uh, for 4GL languages that were coming out at the time. And I just picked them up really easily because I think I was a level above the actual programming language. So Mm. I could just kind of understand. So as I went from tool to tool, I knew these functions needed to exist, and it was just a matter of the syntax. So three years into the gig, somebody gives me a call, and they're like, we want you to be a consultant. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. It's like, well, you could go to all these other companies, and you help them with whatever their needs are on the technical side. And I'm like, okay, sounds interesting. And so I sign up. So I joined this tiny little um, consulting company that's in the tech space, They were a mainframe shop, so all of their 
um, you know, staff og talent that was out there were all mainframe programmers. Mm. I'd done some mainframe programming, but I was their first PC hire, the first person that wrote code for the PC. And they placed me out on a contract at 3M Corporation. Uh, and it was a two-month contract, and it was a project that was, I think, two years overdue, right? And so it had just never been delivered, and time had gone on, and um, so they wanted, they needed help to figure this out. And this is kind of where I, I, I did something kind of interesting. So I, I got in there, and I came up with this idea of, well, what if we could get something into the production environment for this team? And it was working with, I think, the 3M uh, Dimensional Graphics group. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dimensional Graphics are, you know, the little 4 by 4 or the logos of the cars and things that they stick on the back of the, the vehicles. Uh, and uh, so I went to, the, to that group in Stillwater, and I said to them, you know, what would be kind of the most valuable thing that you could get from this app? Because it's two years overdue, so the, the requirements had changed over two years. Of course. That's why they could never keep up. And they said, well, we need to keep track of the formulas for all the colors that we're using for these different dimensional graphics. That would be the biggest help. And I came back, and I think a week later, I, I delivered this little module that was a power builder, which most people wouldn't even know what that is, but uh, delivered this module to them. And they're like, yeah, this is perfect. I said, let's put it into production. So we did. And then pretty soon, it was like week after week, we were delivering things. And what I didn't realize at the time is we were doing minimum viable product and continuous deployment, something I didn't hear about for 10 years after we had done it. Oh, my gosh. And it worked, and they were happy. And then another group heard about me, and they came calling within 3M. And I spent eight years at 3M consulting. Wow. uh, On business intelligence, on supply chain, on uh, manufacturing. And so I had kind of gone into consulting from a career perspective to gain experience in multiple industries, because mm. I've been, you know, working just with Carlson on the marketing side, um, and I didn't get it the way I thought I would. I thought I'd be going from company to company, but interestingly, the way things worked, I got to work with every single division at 3M. So I worked with mm. abrasives, I worked with automotive, I worked with medical, I worked with dental, I worked with their traffic division. Um, so it was just this great experience of understanding all these different industries. Um, and they all had that common thread, right? It was all about bringing in, um, you, you took an input, you did something to it, and there was an output. And at the end of the day, that's what business is. Right. It's like everything that you're doing, and you're doing it for people. And I think sometimes people forget that that's what business is. Everything that every company does is for people. It's not for machines. It's not for other things. It's for people. And if you can't add value to people, you really don't have a business there. Mm. And so that was kind of really uh, an interesting part of my journey. And then I went into, um, I consulted with a few other companies kind of on the side while I was working at 3M. And uh, I ended up getting a job with a marketing company, a small marketing company, Mm. heading up their IT shop. So I had moved from an individual contributor consultant into an executive role overnight, and I had zero people management skills or any of those types of things, right? Because oh. I didn't go through sure. manager, supervisor, or those types of things. Yeah. But I absolutely loved it. Um, and the way I led that team was the way I wanted to be led, right? I wanted to be able to make mistakes. I wanted people to mentor me. I didn't want to live in fear. Sure. Um, and it, this team just 
thrived under that kind of approach. And I was mm. like, hey, this is working. Six months later, I get promoted to the VP of um, both the IT shop and the account managers. Mm. Um, and we're just rocking it. And so I was managing up really well, managing down really well. And my big mistake was I didn't manage across. I didn't manage my peers. Um, and I think there was things that happened uh, that caused them not to be too happy about my rapid progress. Mm. Um, and I was there just kind of helping people doing my thing. But it was a great lesson. I got fired from that role. Mm. And walking out the door, um, the CEO of that company said, you know, you'd be probably a better consultant than a leader. Mm. And I was just heartbroken. I mm. was like, oh, I just love this job. And I love teaching and love mentoring and coaching and helping people. Um, and so I went and just took another job as a consultant and I absolutely hated it. So once I, once mm. I tasted being able to take care of people and to grow people both personally and professionally, mm -hmm. it was really hard to just kind of go be a cog again. And, um, so what, uh, and fortunately for me, two weeks into that consulting gig, a friend of mine called and said, hey, would you uh, be interested in a CIO role or a VP of IT role? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I love that. That's what I want to do. And so I went through, um, actually, it was, it was for a company called PDI, Personnel Decisions International. It was an HR consulting firm. Sure. Uh, and uh, what they did was they did executive assessments and development of executives for large companies all over the world. They were a you know, global company. Um, and so I went through their full you know, one-day executive assessment and came out, came out with, you know, flying colors and my EQ and my IQ and all these other tests that they had given me. Um, and so I was, I felt vindicated. And I think that was the confidence I needed to kind of follow this leadership pathway mm -hmm. that I've been on. Um, and it was just, it was a gift uh, that they gave me. And so I spent three years with them. Uh, and then, um, I don't know, it was like 08, 09, and we ha had the big recession where the banks were failing and whatnot. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was coming in and, you know, um, HR, well, most consulting and especially HR consulting ends up kind of taking a dip during a recession, right? Because it's typically thought of as a discretionary spend for most companies. So I was coming in and I felt like I was laying off people like every other week. And mm -hmm. I was just, my heart was broken. And so I went to my boss and I said, hey, I'm going to go start looking for other work. Uh, all the leaders know exactly what to do. We've got a great strategy. You've got a good three-year strategy here. They'll be able to run with it. We'll save a few positions. Um, and I think I could find something. And uh, fortunately, I found something with Hallmark Business Connections, which was a subsidiary of Hallmark Cards. Uh, and they hired me. I think it was Hallmark Insights when they hired me. And then we took every single business unit within Hallmark and merged them together and created a B2B platform for them. Mm. So we were doing things, um, incentive marketing for um, sales programs. We were doing um, incentive marketing for healthcare. Uh, so companies like Optum and, and WellPoint and others, uh, they were providing um, incentives for you to do healthy behaviors. Like, are you eating your five fruits and vegetables. Are you exercising every day? Did sure. you go get your biomarkers? And so we built this really cool system that was a SaaS-based system that these other companies would leverage for their various groups. Really enjoyed it. And then got tapped on the shoulder to run an airline. Oh, um, my gosh. So, uh, <laughs> and, and that's kind of how my career has been. It's like people have always just come to me and asked for help. Uh, and I've just kind of jumped and gone and done it. And, you know, I, I didn't know the first thing about an airline. 
but I knew business and I knew people. And uh, so I, you know, I was at Sun Country for just shy of two years, uh, kind of grew that business, prepared it for sale, and then it got sold to private equity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, from an interest, the, the most interesting thing to me when I was at that organization is I felt that the company, each of the different groups in the company had become kind of insular because they'd gone through a couple of bankruptcies. Mm-hmm. And so they weren't really talking to each other. They were all protecting their own. Sure. Uh, and that was the first thing I realized because I was hearing these complaints from group to group and, uh, it, you know, it was simple things like, hey, the lettuce is wilted when we get it on the airplane. So the flight attendants weren't happy to serve that to the first class passengers. So I was like, well, why don't you just tell them? It's like, well, how can we tell them? So we actually got a flight attendant representative. We hooked him up with the commissary, started talking. People got happy. It was little things like that. It was, uh, you know, there's there's a hundred stories sure. along the lines. But um, it was really about changing the culture to get people to work together, mm. to have a consistent purpose. Um, and I think our purpose, you know, when something like we're passionate about safely and effectively helping people connect with those they love right or the people that matter or the moments that matter um and and that was kind of what rallied everybody around it and that's what gave the the company success and i find that in a lot of companies is when the purpose isn't well defined and the whole company isn't focused on that purpose Mm -hmm. that's when you start to have strife yeah it's um uh, something i learned a long time ago it's missed expectations are the root of all conflict Mm. right and so when people are thinking differently or they don't understand what their expectations are, that's when conflict arises in companies. And so that was kind of really fun. After that, I started a company in the gig economy. Um, and it was kind of a differentiated model in the gig economy and spent quite a bit of energy on that and you know got the site up and everything else. Couldn't raise any money because it was a B2C play. I needed to market it, and I couldn't get enough money to market. And my wife's finally like, hey, you better go get a job because you're just (laughs) writing checks and no money's coming in. So I started networking, and I ended up at uh, Allen Interactions, which is an e-learning company. Um, And, you know, I helped groom the founder's son into the the role, and so I just wrapped that up. And I started looking around and thinking about, well, what do you want to do next, right? And um, out of nowhere, there were a couple people that reached out to me for referrals, and I started talking to them, and I said, I think I can help you. And so this advisory business just kind of started out of nowhere, and I'm really enjoying it. I am loving meeting these people, uh, understanding what's going on in their world, um, and helping them uh, unleash the potential that they have. Because I think a lot of us walk around kind of stifled mm-hmm. uh, with regard to what are we capable of doing or what's happening to us. And this is just kind of a fun way to kind of unleash that potential within themselves and within their organizations. And so that's kind of the, the career background, I guess, a little bit. That's Long-winded. awesome. Well, it, it gives us a lot of context for how you're qualified to be able to do what you're doing right now. Yeah, you know. And before this, the show started, we were talking about how uh, many times entrepreneurs get to a certain level where they've, they've reached a plateau and they can't figure out how to scale their company beyond where they are. And so many times they think, well, my only answer is just to just do a recap and bring in private equity. But that's really not. Yeah, more right? often than not, I think that's probably a big mistake um, that, that owners make, right? Because all of a sudden you're bringing in a third party that doesn't truly understand why you started your business. 
and what you're trying to do with that business. And so I think there's a risk factor there mm -hmm. that all of a sudden you've got a partner now at the table that has different um, demands or goals mm -hmm. than you did when you started your business. Um, and they can take it sideways uh, oftentimes. Yeah, if it's not for the right reason. Right. And like you said, if the purpose doesn't match and the values don't match, exactly. then it tends to derail. So how is it that you actually work with companies? Now, I know that this is a new advisory service that you're providing, but you're already landing clients. Um, and, you know, <laughs> you haven't had a lack of opportunity in your career. So what that says to me is that your your persona, your reputation, um, your attractiveness precedes you. And so people find you because they know that you're going to be able to solve whatever problem they have, when it, especially when it comes to scaling a business. Well, that's very kind of you to say. Um, I, I like helping people. Um, and, you know, I was kind of raised to help with expecting nothing in return. Mm. Uh, and so I've always lived my life that way. Mm -hmm. um, it, it seems to me that, you know, people come to me and they're usually um, struggling with something, right? There's some pain point that they're dealing with or there's a issue with the partners in the business or the owners. They're not all on the same page. Uh, I'll give you an example of one of the clients that I helped. It was a multi-generational uh, ownership structure. The uh, original founder had passed away and so there were some children and some grandchildren uh, and they were trying to figure out, you know, how do we work together? Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of pressure on, you know, both generations trying to get this company to grow. The younger generation wanted growth um, because they, 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 they wanted to continue grandpa's legacy. Uh, and the older generation kind of wanted wealth preservation and less risk. Mm -hmm. um, but to me, you know, a business... If you don't grow a business, you're basically shrinking, right? Because there's inflation, there's wage uh, uh, inflation within the organization, things yes. like that. So growth is a function of a business. You have to grow. Got to have a It's yeah. the number one thing. And I think, um, you know, so I talk to these people. I, I help mediate. Um, mm -hmm. In that particular instance, we established a board. Uh, you know, I think the oldest the oldest sibling was actually running the organization and mm -hmm. um, they wanted to kind of bring in some professional management and kind of grow the business. Um, so I actually did a search for them and found a president for them. Mm -hmm. um, and so so it really it, it runs the gamut, mm -hmm. um, you know, as people kind of come to the table. It's like we got to have that conversation to say, what are you trying to do and what's your definition of success? Right. And a lot of people don't know that. They don't um, know the answer to yeah, that. You're it's right. Like, or you get into the business and it's like, well, what do I do next? It's like, well, you got to define what your goals are. You can't get anywhere if you don't know where you're going. It's the old uh, Alice in Wonderland thing, right? Right. Yeah. Um, there's so many more things that I wanted to ask you and talk about today. But I think maybe the last question I would have um, would be if I'm, if I'm an executive out there, like I've got a lot of business owners who listen to the show all over the country and, and I, and I own this company and I've grown this company and I've been successful. I'm, I'm maybe not ready to exit yet, but maybe in the next five to seven years. And I've just reached this place where I, I, I can't get past this certain level of, of revenue and growth, right? I, I just need to have someone come in and, and help me that has that expertise. Is that, does that ex uh, uh, kind of uh, define a little bit um, some of the work that you do, like if that's if that's me, you know, do you say, hey, let's have a conversation? Yeah, that is exactly what I love to do. I mm -hmm. love to help companies scale. And so what I've noticed in all the jobs that I've had over the years with all these different companies, scaling organizations 
is a, is a, is as much art as 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 it is science. I would agree. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so there's a whole cultural aspect to getting people to think differently and to kind of move the organization. But most companies are running off tribal knowledge, mm-hmm. right? They, they don't have defined onboarding plans. They don't have standard operating procedures. They do what they have to do. And that's absolutely okay if they're happy with where they are. But if you start to get growth, you have to be able to close those capability voids uh, as you grow. And I think a lot of people think that growth is linear, and it's certainly not. Every company I've looked at and worked at, it's, it's always a step function, so there's like an inflection point and there's a step. And you run at that step for a while and then there's an inflection point and another step. And so that step from one step to the next is very, where your capability void is, right? Can you create better productivity? Can you automate things? Can you ensure that you've got checklists in place so that you can be consistent in your delivery? I always say variability is the enemy of quality. Mm. Right. And so if you're doing things differently every single time, exactly, you're going to your quality will suffer. Definitely. And so how do you start to put some of those standard operating procedures and things in, in, in place? And, and it depends. It, it's different for each company. You might be really great at marketing and bringing in leads. Mm-hmm. You may be really bad at delivery. Right. That's where your margins are getting kind of um, shrunk. Um, so you have to kind of look at the organization, understand the financials, understand what's going on. And then you start to pick those constraint points and start attacking them. Sarira, this has been great. I really appreciate you being on the show, sharing your wisdom. Um, I'd love to have you be uh, on the show again and share more stories, you know, more examples. Uh, We didn't get into the modeling and things like that that you do, but uh, we'll do that next time. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, thanks so much for it. Went by really fast. I know, I know. It always does. (laughs) Thank you for having me, Julie. Good, rich conversation. Enjoyed it. You're welcome, and thank you, our listeners, for joining us. Please join us again next time.